It's Monday, June 25th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we will be looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Today, we are going to see that we are spellbounded by the unexpected. So let's read from Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. On the Sabbath, they, being the disciples, rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This passage is transformational to our faith, important and a scene of unexpected wonder to the women and disciples. Our faith stands or falls on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, then our faith in Christ, a proposed dead man, would be futile and phony. But this passage has so many historical proofs, physical proofs, and scriptural proofs to bolster our faith and to embolden our witness. People want to disprove Christianity on many merits, but the truth is, if Jesus rose from the dead as he predicted, then this is the greatest verdict. Case closed. Jesus is Lord. So before we study this unexpected scene of wonder, let's look back at the beginning of Luke's gospel and then look forward to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. First, at the very beginning, like we looked at Luke chapter one, verses one through four, this contains the purpose that Dr. Luke, a physician, sought to write this book. Luke one, chapter one through four, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Recall all about Luke, his unwavering commitment to the apostles' teaching, evidence in Paul's love for his partnership and Luke's intellectual competence, evidence in his medical profession. Luke wrote this book in Acts, a two-volume work covering the work and teachings of Christ on earth and then the history of the spread of the church in its first 30 years. The purpose for writing the book was to persuade Theophilus and other Gentiles that the Christian teachings are true by testing and examining the claims about Christ. Luke is an intellectual book. And that reminds us that Luke writes in Acts 17, 11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Luke, as a physician, is precise in wanting to bolster confidence in the hope that the gospel was true. 
With Luke being such a precise historian, then we know that everything recorded before builds up to this one final miracle. Nothing that Luke recorded about Jesus before has any purpose or any meaning if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Even the crucifixion loses purpose beyond a bloody Roman execution. if Jesus didn't conquer sin and death. But Luke, being a historian, captured the details, studied the case, and unfolded the first scene for us with precision here in these first 12 verses. And this, beloved, should bolster our confidence, our faith, and our boldness. Look at 1 Corinthians, what, what Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 through 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We've even been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true, if it is true that dead are not raised. And then we continue in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Oh, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 57-58 then says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The resurrection is the pinnacle of our faith. And while the four gospel writers may all start their gospels in different places, they all end with painstaking detail on the resurrection. So we look at this passage from Luke to bolster our faith, knowing that our labor is not in vain. As we manifest the gospel to vulnerable children, this is not futile, but is the declaration of the greatest and most important news in the world. So we see in this passage from Luke four unexpected occurrences that validate the resurrection. So first, we see an unexpected scene. You see, when they arrived at the scene early that Sunday morning on the first day of the week, verse 1, they find three huge surprises. They were taking simple spices and perfumes to honor the body of Jesus, but they were shocked to find first the stone was rolled away. John's gospel, in some translations, used the word flicked away, right? Almost like you would flick lint off your shirt, The stone that the Romans had placed and sealed in front of the tomb was just a flick to our God. But the second surprise was the tomb was empty, which led to the perplexing reality that, number three, the body of the Lord Jesus was missing. So just like any great historian, Luke doesn't add much emotion or fanfare. These are recorded facts, not recorded emotions. And this shows us that the account is factual, true, and reliable. But then next we see the second unexpected occurrence, which validates the resurrection. Number two, unexpected visitors. Just as the the ladies discovered that the Messiah's body is missing, we see again Luke give us a very detailed and factual account with much restraint. The women are surprised to see two men in dazzling apparel. These men are not revealed to be angels until verse 23, when it says, And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that even they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. The details of Luke's account again show us in verse 5 that the women were frightened and bowed down. 
No one can look at the glory of an angel and not be terrified and bow down in reverence. And they, beloved, are just a fraction of the glory of our great God. These unexpected visitors. And then again, we see the painstaking detail. Not a lot of emotion, but just detail and fact. These women saw two men in dazzling apparel. Unexpected visitors. But then these unexpected visitors lead us to number three, an unexpected message. You see, the message is both an announcement and a correction of their lack of faith. Luke 24, five through seven says this, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? These ladies, as we know, the disciples as well, had completely misunderstood the teaching of the Lord Jesus. He had told them at least three times directly that he would suffer, die, and then conquer death three days later. They were coming to the tomb expecting a funeral and a dirge. They were coming to prepare his body as if it would be buried forever. They missed it because they should have been coming to the tomb for a celebration of the majesty and miracle of God. The unexpected message should have met with, been met with expectation. Is this how we approach the work of God? Do we come to the Lord's calling with uncertainty? Do we come to the Lord's calling with fear and dread? Or do we come to the Lord with anticipation, joy, and expectation? We must keep the truth of the gospel in the forefront of our lives. We cannot forget, stray, or wander from this amazing truth. It is the truth of the gospel that the world needs, that our neighbors need, and that the fatherless need. We proclaim the realities and mysteries of the gospel and with great boldness because why? We know that it's true. We can rejoice even in the face of death because our minds are fixed on this glorious gospel. So this unexpected message leads us to the final unexpected occurrence we see in this passage, which validates the resurrection, the unexpected testimony. It wasn't just the ladies that had forgotten, no, the disciples, they were walled up in a locked room in order to, to avoid potential deaths for being even associated with Jesus. But when the ladies hear, they instantly turn and run to tell the men. Again, we see the veracity of Luke to show us the historical details which prove the account. First, let us know that women were not respected as an authority in the time period that the Bible was written. Nothing would have been delivered, certified, or accounted for on the testimony of three women. If the story was made up, if, if all of this was just a fiction of the resurrection of Christ, then it would have been men who would have been the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. No, but verse 11 says... Secondly, Peter and the other men ran to the tomb to validate and verify the account. They may have been thinking the lady's emotion got the best of them, and so these more level-headed, rational men needed to verify the account. So racing to the tomb, the men were no doubt filled with skeptical wonder, hoping it was true, but reserved at the same time. The women mentioned by Luke are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. And these are the same women that are mentioned in Luke chapter 8. 
And, and, Jane, and Luke tells us this about these women in Luke chapter eight. He says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmaries, Mary called Magdalene, who had seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. These were ladies who had financially provided for the mission of the disciples to proclaim the message of Christ. Luke has provided a narrative and a report that should bolster our faith and embolden us to preach the gospel without fear. And so ladies that may be listening to this podcast, the Lord shows us an aside through this passage, his love for women. Why? He reveals himself after the resurrection, first to the women, and then he uses them. This reminds us of the complementary nature of men and women. This reminds us of what Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. No one liberated women more or loves women more than Jesus. And then this, this passage, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, ends with Peter. Peter was no doubt rushing to the tomb, hoping against hope that the message was true. Oh, how Peter wanted to see Jesus and wanted to be forgiven. He wanted and needed another moment with the Savior, one that wasn't marked with sin and failure. You see, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. He gets there and he sees the scene. He sees the evidence and he believes by marveling at the work of God. The last thing that Peter see, we see Peter before the crucifixion of Christ is denying Christ three times. And then he sees uh, Jesus crucified. And you know that as Peter is rushing to the tomb, he so wants a second chance. And beloved, because of the resurrection, he gets a second chance. And because of the resurrection, we sinners get a second chance. Oh, by the stripes and by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. But the crucifixion means nothing if it's not for the resurrection. Beloved, the resurrection is true. The resurrection is the message of the gospel that we desperately want to manifest to the fatherless, the vulnerable, and the world. But don't miss that the resurrection is also a message for you. We, like Peter, are sinners and can, ta- and can feel like failures But there is a never-ending, never-stopping, all-powerful grace of God that will cover our sin with the atoning and conquering blood of Jesus. So let us marvel at the powerful grace of Christ in the same way that Peter marveled when he realized his sins weren't just forgiven, but they were conquered. So this week, we are praying for Lifeline's counseling ministry and our foster care ministry specifically. We are praying for the churches that are involved in counseling and fostering children throughout the states of Alabama and South Carolina. We're praying for our partnerships to expand into more than just recruitment of families, but into holistic support of foster families and birth families, along with financial support. 
We are praying for financial provision for our foster care program and praying that God will continue to provide for our needs as our program grows through our church partnerships, that we will continue to see grants and individual donations come and just pray specifically for grant requests that are outstanding. Pray for our partnership with Child Protective Services in the states of Alabama, South Carolina, and Kansas. Pray that the Lord will deepen and strengthen these relationships to grow the level of trust between all parties. Pray for the children that are in care with Lifeline foster families. Pray for their salvation, for healing from trauma that they have endured. Pray that God will use their stories for his glory. And pray for adopted families, for those who have parental rights that have been terminated. Pray for birth families who have lost their children to foster care. Pray that salvation would come to their house, that the resurrection would be known true for them. Pray for them to know their value and identity does not have to be based on their past. And pray for them to be motivated to accomplish what they need to in order to be reunited with their children. Pray for current licensed foster families, for wisdom, for grace, for strength and patience as they daily minister to children in need. Pray for several families who are currently in process, who have difficult past, and pray that the Lord will use their past for his glory. Pray for foster families in the process, that they will complete the necessary requirements in order to be licensed so that they can start accepting placements. Pray for more families to respond to the specific needs of older children, sibling groups, and and medical special needs through the upcoming classes at Altadena Valley Presbyterian Church and Shades Mountain Baptist and the Church at Brook Hills and Daniel Island Baptist South in South Carolina. Pray for upcoming continuing education opportunities for the Lord to bring families to to be equipped to care well for the children in their homes and pray for churches and individuals to holistically be a part of the foster care and to continue hosting family visitation rooms, babysitting and other volunteer opportunities. Pray for our open staff positions in both Alabama and South Carolina for very uh, strategic roles that we need on our foster care team. Praise the Lord for the number of families attending upcoming Alabama and South Carolina orientations. Praise God for the many recent positive meetings in South Carolina with churches and child welfare departments. Praise the Lord for recent partnership with Jefferson County DHR to co-host their foster parent appreciation luncheon. And praise the Lord for fundraising efforts that continue to give the needed funds to help this program continue. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to have this program. We pray that this foster care program would be for your glory, for your honor, and for your name. Lord, we pray for the children that are in care. We pray that salvation would come to their house. We pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would go before them. We pray for their families. Oh, families that have lost these children to the state. We pray that they, salvation would come to their house. We pray that they would be motivated to get their homes in order so that their children could be reunified. And Lord, we pray for foster families who are in the trenches, loving on these vulnerable children who are struggling with so many issues and they're loving them uh, like they are their own. And Lord, we would pray that you would raise up adopted families who would adopt these children who have already had their parental rights terminated. Lord, will you work in our country, the country of the United States of America, and through our foster care program, that your glory would be made known to the state and to the children and to all those in between. Oh, Lord, we love you. It's for your name and your sake that we pray that you would make your glory known in the foster care programs of the United States of Alabama and through Kansas and through South Carolina and every one of the 50 states. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.